Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, thank you for being here with us today. We are excited, uh, as we just saw, to be able to uh, just kind of introduce you to some of the people that do different volunteer opportunities here and take hold of those. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. And we're going to highlight a lot of that throughout the month in a variety of ways. So thanks for being here in person, as well as thanks for joining us online. Uh, I'm excited to be able to bring the message to you today, week three of our summer reading series. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open up to Matthew 16. Well, Matthew 16 is where we're going to be. At. It will be uh, on the outline as well, or it's on the Version Bible app uh, with our outline too. And uh, But in the this series, we have been taking some books that, uh, honestly, as a staff, that we feel like are very, uh, very good books, very important books for the life of a believer. And uh, we're not preaching the book itself, but we're taking the, maybe the theme or a point from that book uh, to then use as a, a, a springboard, a, a, a hook to be able to talk about spiritual truth. And today, the book that we are looking at is one of, uh, honestly, a book that I love uh, by a pastor that I love as well. Uh, it's called The Problem of Jesus. Answering the Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. And it's by Pastor Mark Clark. Uh, in every generation and in every country and tragically in many churches, there is always one problem with Jesus. And that's this, the Jesus of the Bible is ignored. See, the greatest need of every person is to be confronted with the questions, who is Jesus and does he want anything to do with my life? This book that we're using today uh, is a great resource for anyone, uh, a believer uh, or a, a skeptic to help answer the questions we all have, or to the, maybe even answer the things that we need to be reassured of in our own life and our own faith. Things like this, did Jesus really exist? How is God loving? Can we trust the Bible? Do miracles really happen? Is Jesus really God, and did he really die on a cross and then resurrect from the grave? Well, Pastor Mark Clark, who is becoming kind of one of the, the leading apologists uh, to our generation, provides support and answers for many of these questions in his book. But for the skeptic, if you're here today and you are a skeptic about the faith, about who Jesus is, this book, I think, will really help with your hesitations and also your understanding. And for the believer, this book is going to provide some additional legs to stand on uh, when it comes to the very things that we say we believe and we need to defend when we feel like we are being attacked in our faith. You see, we all feel the need to defend ourselves at times, don't we? We all have those moments in our life when we feel like we need to defend who we are or what we are doing. I recall a situation uh, in my own life when I was in seminary and I was in Louisville, Kentucky going to seminary and about 80 miles east of that was Lexington, Kentucky where my wife, who was then uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, lived. And I had gone uh, to her place that morning. We did like a kind of a morning, like a breakfast date kind of thing. I had to get back because I had classes uh, that afternoon. And so I drove back the 80 miles and I know on that stretch there are police everywhere. And so I've purposefully set my cruise control at the speed limit uh, and like did not deviate from that. I was like, I'm, I've got plenty of time. I'm just getting there. I'm going to get there in time for class. And so I set my, uh, you know, my cruise control, get going on the interstate. And halfway there, uh, I get the, the, the policeman pulls behind me on the interstate, flips on the lights. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Because I know I wasn't speeding. And I pull over, and he pulls me over, and he comes up, and he walks up to the window, and he knocks on the window, and I roll down the window, and he says, well, do you know why I pulled you, pulled you over? I said, honestly, sir, I really don't. And he said, well, I got you as speeding. I said, well, sir, I don't think so. I, I, honestly, I said, it, I mean, I, was, I had my cruise control on. I really don't think I was. And he said, no, I got, I got you as speeding. And in that moment, I, I was like, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, I, 
you know, I, I'm really sure, unless this thing's broke, like I was going the speed limit. And he said, and I said, so sir, I really don't think I was. And he said, well, have you ever sped before? And I said, well, yes, sir. He said, well, then you're a speeder. Now, I was on my way to seminary, but I do have a sinful fleshly side. And in that moment, my response that I wanted to say was, well, have you ever lied before, sir? Because then you would be a liar is what I wanted to say. But I didn't say that because I knew how that would end up. And so I ended up getting a ticket for going over the speed when I am sure that I didn't do it. But in that moment, I wanted to defend myself, as we all would, right? But we all have these moments in our life when we feel like we're being attacked and we want to defend ourselves. And I felt attacked in that moment and wanted to defend my side of the story. You see, we all need to be ready to do this in our faith as well, to defend our faith in who we believe in and what we believe in. And that term for that is the first blank on your sheet, and that's this, apologetics. Apologetics is a literal defense of the Christian faith against objections. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which is the defense a lawyer gives at a trial. To, you know, make a case uh, for yourself, to defend yourself. But in order to give this defense, we do need to be prepared. Now I want you to check out this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 3.15, before we get into the Matthew 16. It says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, looking at this passage, something that we can learn and glean from this is because we believe Christ is holy, we should be ready to defend him. Many of you have played sports or watched sports. When the offense is attacking, you have to play defense. And you can't just go out there and say, oh, we're going to play defense. Like there has to be a plan. There has to be a, a, you know, a, some preparation and a strategy that goes in to that defense. We need to have that in our own faith. We can't just walk out there and think we're going to defend ourselves if we've never prepared for it. We need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope we have so that we can bring others to faith in Christ. The term, a term that you may be very familiar with is this, theology. Theology is the attempt to gain a deeper understanding of the faith. While the term apologetics is the attempt to defend the faith against those who don't understand or disagree with it. Combining these two things, these two terms, is a great tool for reaching this world with the gospel. To be able to take theology, what we know about God, and to defend it. So how do we prepare? We've got to prepare through something called discipleship. We need to be discipled. We need to be living as disciples in this world. You know, that's one of the reasons we provide so many uh, opportunities for things like serving. Uh, Pastor Chris Jones was just up here a moment ago, does an amazing job at giving us all these opportunities to serve and to take God's word and to apply it and to put it into use. But we also have something coming up called life groups. You've been hearing about this over the last few weeks. You're going to hear a whole lot about it over the next month. We have 55 life groups this fall. How awesome is that? Yes, I can applaud for that. 55 life groups. That means there is an opportunity for everybody to join in a life group, to find community, to study God's word, to be able to talk about how you can apply it to your life and then to pray together. You know, we need to be able to be discipled and to understand that. If you're a Christian, you also need to know what the gospel is. You need to understand that you are a sinner separated from God, but through Jesus and what he did on the cross, you surrendering your life to him, you can be saved the gospel is what made you a Christian in the first place. We need to know and understand it. And honestly, we need to be able to articulate it. We need to be able to say it and to proclaim it and tell other people. We need to be able to give our defense, as it says here, with gentleness and respect. But Pastor Scott, people on Facebook, someone call me weak because I believe in Jesus. You know what? We are weak. But because we are weak, he is strong in us. We have our own issues. Like, Scott, Pastor Scott, people might think, make fun of me because I'm, I'm, I'm weird because I believe in Jesus. 
being a Christian is weird. It's a Sunday morning. You guys are waking up early. You're showing up. You're singing together. You're hugging people. Like, it's a weird thing. But it's a different thing. It's a positive thing that goes against the grain and shows that we have faith in who this God is. So let's dive into Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now here, Caesarea Philippi, not too far north of Jerusalem, and he is meeting with his disciples, his closest people, his closest followers that have been with him through miracles and, and all these things that he's done. And he asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man refers to Jesus as both God and man, his, his messianic role and the fact that, you know, kind of to bring in or to usher in the reign of God. But he says, who do people say that I am? What, what's the word on the street about me? Well, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe just a prophet. In other words, people are very confused as to who he is. They don't really understand and they only speak to what they know or have seen. They know about the prophets of old. They know about John the Baptist who is right here uh, in the time of Jesus as well. People were witnessing a real life, walking, talking Jesus, and they didn't know what to do about it. They didn't know what to do with him. And I think a lot of us would say, yeah, they should have known. But a lot of us would probably be in the same position. Imagine if right now, if Jesus were to walk down this aisle, now, you know it's him because you've seen the pictures. But like he would walk, some of you got that, some of you didn't get that. We don't really have pictures of Jesus. Okay, so like he were to walk down this aisle and begin to, to preach and to proclaim, to do miracles. And some of us would be sitting back like, who is this crazy person? We might think, is this guy a magician? Is he a, is he a prophet? Is he somebody that, somebody that the security team should have tackled before he walked in here? Like, who is this? We would have struggled with this idea of who he is. So who would you think he is? Is he a, you know, a prophet? Is he a magician? Is he, is he John the Baptist as they thought at the time? But I think we really understand that he's one of three things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a Lord, the Lord. There's that phrase you may have heard uh, in, your own, in your own life, in your own walk with the Lord. Leads us to the first point. Number one, the world has a problem with the idea of a real historical Jesus. He was a real person walking this earth just like you and me. Flesh and blood. He did amazing things that are recorded, not only in the Bible, but also in history. Flesh and blood. He was also divine as God in the flesh. Now, there's three things that we can know about this real historical Jesus. That's these next few things, A, B, and C. Letter A, Jesus really did exist. You see, at least 10 writers outside of the Bible mentioned Jesus by name, and six of these were not friends of Christianity, but rather first century Jewish and Roman historians, most of whom operated with an anti-Christian agenda. But he's recorded in there. Most historians, modern day historians, writing about Jesus don't even spend any time on this argument, not because it's not important, but because the issue has already been settled, that Jesus really did exist. And even skeptics and critics of Christianity who approach the topic through a historical lens, that's key, through a historical lens, not some joker on TikTok, but through a historical lens, somebody like Bart Ehrman, agree that Jesus was a historical figure who really existed. So Jesus did exist. Something else we can know is this, is that Jesus really did die on a cross, that he really did. There is little to no doubt from a historical perspective that Jesus' crucifixion happened. His death is recorded and his resurrection is alluded to by multiple non-Christian, non-biblical historians writing at or shortly after the time of Jesus. The Roman Jewish historian Josephus, who's one of the most famous historians of this time, uh, back in you know, 2,000 years ago, who was not a Christian, by the way, 
documented in his own antiquity saying, about this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. Listen to this part. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. And on the third day, he appeared restored to life. And the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Here's a historian from the time of Jesus saying he was the Christ. He was condemned to be crucified. But also that last part, he says, on the third day, he appeared restored to life. He had been resurrected, and this historian attributes that and shows that. And then he even goes on to say the tribe of Christians has not disappeared because of it. Which leads to the third part of this is that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead. Josephus' comment right here about how the tribe of Christians has not disappeared has huge implications for our faith. Did you know that at the time of Jesus, obviously started with 12 disciples, 12 Christ followers, that in the first 300 years, it went from 12 disciples to 33 million followers of Jesus in 300 years, 12 to 33 million. You see, men and women who had witnessed Jesus, his miracles and his death also celebrated in his resurrection. They knew this happened so much that they were willing to be martyred for making this claim. They were willing to actually die because they wouldn't say that it didn't happen. They witnessed his death. Three days later, they saw him as he was resurrected from the grave and they went to their death. They were burned at the stake. They were stoned to death and saying, I cannot say this did not happen because I have seen it with my very eyes. That is something that we can be proud of, that we can be supportive of, that we can allow to build, help build a foundation in our own lives. You see, to deny the reality of miracles, one must prove that God doesn't exist. And this is a much harder uh, you know, task than the atheist would acknowledge. Because the opposite of the statement Jesus rose from the dead is not that all other men have remained in their graves. It's that Jesus himself remained in the grave. That has to be the argument. In order to argue against the evidence for the resurrection, you have to present evidence against the resurrection itself. Not evidence that everybody else has always remained in the grave. You see, we need to be prepared for a defense because people will attack. They will attack. You know, uh, we have a, a plan at our house if somebody were to invade our home and to attack us. And, and I came up with this plan. The plan begins with this. My wife sleeps closest to the door, okay? I came up with the plan. She sleeps closest to the door. My, wife's was, my wife was raised on a farm in Kentucky. She's scrappy. So uh, if the invader comes, into the, it comes in, she can, you know, in the dead of night, she can take him. She can start to fight him off to give me enough time to wake from my sleep in the dark, to fumble around in my nightstand, to find my Swiss army knife from when I was 12 years old, in the dark amidst the 15 phone chargers from my last cell phones, find this little pocket knife, I open the little thing, and then to take that guy out. That's the plan. It's a terrible plan, but it's a plan. But here's why I tell you that, because it's a lame plan. But the problem is that's not any better than the plan many of us have to defend our own faith. We're like, oh, well, I've got, I've got an idea, you know, of how this is going to happen. You know, uh, you know, somebody says, Jesus isn't real. You're like, well, my pastor says so. That's a terrible plan. That's terrible. We've got to have a better plan. Our defense has to have its foundations laid in the promises of Jesus and his word. And we need to be prepared. You see, the promises of Jesus change everything if they are true. And the resurrection is proof that Jesus will keep his promise. He will save and he will resurrect us. That is why the early church could die without being cowards and why you can face death in the same way. 
you can know for sure that your hope in eternity with God is secure. Let's read on. Matthew 16, verse 15. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? This is the key verse, the key phrase in what we're talking about today. Who do you say that I am? See, Jesus is not, let's get this clear, he is not a self-help book. He is, is not a get out of jail free card. He's not even a genie in a bottle. He is none of those things. It, what we can know and about who he is and what we're talking about today is that it says, who do you say that he is? You that are right here in this room, you that are watching us online, who do you say that Jesus is? Not your parents, not your friends, not your spouse, not your, your pastor, but who do you say that he is? Your faith in who Jesus is entirely depends on who you say he is. You see, you're not a Christian because your parents or your friends are. That doesn't make you a Christian. You're only a Christian if you choose to surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior. Which leads to number two. My problem with God can be resolved by who I believe Jesus is. My problem with God can be resolved by who I believe Jesus is. It will be resolved one way or the other, right? Like, like we will either be united with God or separated from God for all eternity based on who we believe Jesus is. Lots of first century people believed in Jesus. The, uh, maybe that was a, as Elijah, as John the Baptist, as, the, as a prophet. But lots of 21st century people right now believe in Jesus as well. Did you know that 85% of Americans say they believe Jesus was a historical figure? And 85% of those people say that he rose from the dead. So that's about 72, 73% of the people of Americans say that Jesus rose from the dead. That's a lot. That's a, a staggering figure even for many of us to really think, wow, people really think that. People really believe that. The question is, do they believe enough in that to surrender their life to him? Or maybe more specifically, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead enough to surrender everything that you are to him? So who exactly is the Jesus that you believe in? We're all confronted with this question. We need to provide an answer at some point. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him or not. You think he's a good teacher. You may learn from him what you, whatever you want to learn. Maybe you think he's just somebody with some good ideas and you'll listen to him every once in a while, but only if it really agrees with you and what you already think. Maybe you think he's just a good example, somebody to follow, we can follow his example and we'll do that, but only till it's not easy or uncomfortable. And then we'll walk away. You see, C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So it has to be extremely important or not important at all. It cannot be in the middle. Jesus as Christ cannot be something in your life. It has to be everything, everything. The Christian life is presented as a, a life given over to Jesus, not to just a, a belief that he existed or even a belief system that is based on what the Bible says that he said in his teachings. We are giving our life to Jesus, meaning we are saying we are going to be obedient and submit and surrender to him as Lord and as King. This Jesus has given of himself so that you might walk free, so that you might live. Doesn't that in itself make it worth your time to investigate and to really dive in and to know more, to know more about him? And if you are already a believer, doesn't that confirm that you need to go after him fully with everything that you are and surrender completely to him in every area of your life? 
if we read on in Matthew 16, the response here, after he asks, who do people say that I am, or who do you say that I am, Simon Peter replies in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in, who is in heaven. See, Peter acknowledges Jesus as the Christ, the one who has sent to save the world from sin. Peter had his own problems. He had his own issues. He had a little bit of a foot and mouth disease, if you know what I mean. And he had these moments of disbelief, of unbelief in his own life. We know even later on in the gospel stories that he also denies even knowing who Jesus is three times. But here, he proclaims, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus, it's like, he, it's like he yells out like, yes, blessed are you because God has revealed this truth to you. He has given this truth to you. People, you right here in this room, you watching us online, you are blessed today because God has revealed himself to you. He has sent this word for you to be able to hear today and to know about Jesus, to hear and to know and to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that only through him can you be saved. Nobody else, through no other way, but only through him. God is revealing that to you. Maybe through the message today or through the way that he's been working in your life over the last few days, weeks, months, maybe even years. But he's revealing himself to you. Verse 17 and right here, it says uh, that the Father revealed this to Peter. You see, a true understanding of Christ does not come from, from human uh, invention, but actually comes from divine revelation. Peter's insight has been revealed by God the Father. And by the grace of God, the only way anyone can behold, by the grace of God is the only way that anyone can behold the beauty of Christ. It's the only way, that by God's grace. You see, God in his mercy has opened our eyes to see Jesus, to know who he is, to believe in him, and to confess him as Christ, son of the living God. This is our testimony as Christians. If you were a Christ follower, this, this is your testimony, that God in his mercy has opened your eyes to see Jesus. When you are dead in your sin, every single one of us comes into this world dead into our sin, and but God in his mercy has opened our eyes to see Jesus to know who he is, and then to believe in him as the Messiah, as the Christ who has raised from the dead and overcome death, that we can surrender to him, trust in him, and confess him as the Christ. That is your testimony if you are a Christian. That's your testimony as a Christ follower. How God has taken you from, from sin and the, the pits of hell and has changed you and transformed you and now is working in you and doing amazing things and bringing himself the glory through the way your life is changing and the way that your life, you are living your life out for him. Which leads to the third point. My problem of sin is completely eliminated by Jesus being the resurrected Christ. Jesus being the resurrected Christ. No one else has ever claimed that their religious leader has died and was now alive again and then appeared to his followers and then continued to teach and urge them to carry on his mission. Nobody else has ever done that. Why? Because it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that this happened. And you know what? That's exactly why Christianity is such a scandal. Because it's so crazy. It's so crazy in the fact that also, it's also why scholars both Christian and non-Christian, agree that the resurrection claims of the early church are legitimate. That they're legitimate claims. Because it goes against everything else that they knew and thought. But it is based off what they saw and what they witnessed. You can visit the tomb of the founders of almost every major world religion out there. The gravesite of Abraham in Palestine, 
thousands visit the tomb of Buddha every year in India, and just as many visit the burial place of Muhammad in Medina. But Jesus Christ has no tomb. He's not there. He is not there. He has overcome death. He is resurrected from the grave. And he appeared to hundreds after he resurrected from the grave. As the Christ, he came to earth to save us from sin, to conquer sin and death, and to reign and rule over all as Lord. And if you believe and trust in that, then that changes everything about how you live. See, God's church is made up of people who believe in that Jesus and who know him intimately. The question for you is, do you know Jesus intimately? Or do you just know about him? Do you just check off your box? Oh, I came to church, came to church, went and served. But do you know him intimately? John 5, 28 and 29 says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Look at that verse. All who are in the tombs, all who are dead will hear the voice of God and come out. Everyone will be resurrected out of the dead. But those who have done good, those who have righteousness, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus will come to the resurrection of life, meaning they will be united with God for all eternity. And those who have done evil, meaning they have been separated from God, they have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, will come to the resurrection of judgment. We're all going to experience the resurrection in one of two ways, unto life or unto judgment. And which way you will experience it depends on who you truly believe Jesus is. So I'm going to ask this question again. Who do you say that Jesus is? You see, Christianity has something amazing to say about the finality and the hopelessness of death. Of all the problems raised by the person of Jesus that are really explored in the, in the book that we're talking about, also throughout scripture, the problem of death and the promise of Jesus may be the most important because Jesus offers us truly something unbelievable, hope. He offers us hope. And this is more than just an extension of life as we know it. It's an eternal hope. It's a hope, that this deep hope that gives life and reverses the tragedy of death in the most, really the most beautiful way. He provides hope. The Christian life is both historic fact and life-changing personal application. Christianity is not only true, it's the most hopeful option in a world of ideas. And that's all because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what makes it different. That's what changes everything. See, Jesus, being the Christ who has been resurrected from the dead, changes everything. We sung about that just a moment ago. It changes everything. Jesus being this Christ resurrected from the dead changes everything. You and me, who are dead in our sin, can be saved because of Jesus. We can be saved. And our sin it separates us from God, but because God cannot allow sin into his presence... But not only that, God being rich in his mercy and love sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and for me, paving the way of salvation for us so that we can be returned to him, no longer separated from him, but by placing our faith and trust in him completely. Remember, it cannot be you know, moderately important. It has to be either really important or not important at all. So how do you receive this? How do you receive this salvation, this free gift? Romans 10, verse 13 says, everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Do you notice it says everyone? Not just the ones with the good paying job, not just the ones with the perfect family life, not the ones that have no sin in their life or no struggle or temptation, not the ones that uh, you know, have, uh, are, are looking for friendships, not the ones that are, or maybe don't have friends or do have a lot of friends, not the ones that are popular on social media, not the, you know, it's, it's none of that. It's everyone. Everyone, tribe, tongue, and nation who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The problem of sin in our life is very real. But so is Jesus. He's real. Your sin problem can be fixed by you receiving his free gift of salvation. To receive it, to simply to take it on. You need only to respond to the free offer of salvation in Christ by submitting to him as Lord and as Savior of your life. The problem of your sin and your salvation can be solved today by you answering the question, who do you say that Jesus is? In your own life, in reflection, right now in this moment, ask yourself, who do I say that Jesus is? Is he just the one that saved you from your sin? You're like, yeah, now I get to go to heaven and that's, that's where you've left it? Man, you're missing out on a whole lot. You're missing out. Is he somebody that's simply a good example or a good teacher to you? Then maybe you need to just, maybe just spend some time in reevaluating that. Revisiting the idea, is Jesus Lord and Savior of my life? Or is he just something that I check off on a box each week? So I'm gonna ask it one final time. Who do you say that Jesus is? Let's pray. Father God, right now in this moment, Lord, I just pray that you are working in our hearts, myself included, God. Father, that we would understand and be able to be confronted with this question, who do I say that your son Jesus is? Because Father, who I say that he is reveals everything about my own heart, my own relationship with you. Father, right now in this room, I pray that there are people that you are speaking to in this moment. God, that you are confronting them about their sin that leads to death and separation from you. But you're also saying, I'm providing a way out. I'm providing my son, Jesus, who died in your place. And that you simply need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And the Father, today, in this moment, they would wanna surrender their life to you everything that they have and everything that they are. And Father, for those that are here today and watching online that are believers in Christ, that Father, they've just kind of gone through the motions. And Father, today I pray that they would begin to seek out and to investigate and to come up with a plan, a solid plan and strategy to be able to defend their faith, to be able to answer the questions that people might ask, to be able to share the gospel with those that need to be able to hear it. Father, that you would make it clear the change and the transformation that's happened in their own life. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.